Thank you once again for tuning in and joining me on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I decided to do something different this week. I've got lots of guests, of course, waiting in the wings, but I just thought that the times are so challenging right now. I wanted to share almost 30 years of my experience and tell you about the things that made me most successful. It was all about systems for me. It was about my obsession with guest service and building a very strong brand and and cost controls and maximizing profit. And those were systems. But it also allowed me to have an exit strategy. I trained my staff. I built the dream team. And they had my back. And it was so gratifying to walk in and just be a customer and watch my staff shine and my guests smiling and having a great time and That to me was everything, and you can do it too. It's all about working on your business now, one piece at a time, putting systems in place, and then empowering your people, and I talk all about that in this episode, so stay tuned. Thank you so much to the sponsors this week, Pop Menu, The Birthday Club, and of course, the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Again, immediately actionable information on your systems and what they should be and what you could be doing or should be doing in your restaurant. So stay tuned. I'm happy to bring it to you. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons, for fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game-changing system, and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high-profit menu items and cost controls, to staff training where your teams serve and sell, to marketing hooks, money-maximizing tips, and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant, to hire a management team, time freedom, and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Rockstars. Restaurants have been hit hard the last few years, which means restaurant owners and staff are working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be really demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, can I make a reservation? Or, where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, pleasing your guests. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at 
popmenu.com forward slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about PopMenu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com forward slash rockstars. Rock on. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. So glad you're here. This episode is all about maximizing profit and finding opportunity in your restaurant. So I'm going to be speaking about some of my own experiences. I'll be sharing some stories, but mostly I'm going to give you some immediately actionable advice to put systems in place in your restaurant. I've always called this an exit strategy, you know, to work on your business now. So you decide if and when and how you work in it in the future, if you work in it at all. And it takes systems to do that. So that is what I call the exit strategy. So I'm going to share my screen and hopefully you can watch this episode. But if you're listening, you'll still get some, uh, like I said, immediately actionable information you can put in place in your restaurant to increase your profit and just have more fun, of course, rediscover the passion of why you're in this business in the first place build what I call the dream team staff. We're going to talk about all that. So here we go. All right. Restaurant Rockstars presents. So for those of you who don't know me, or if you're just discovering the podcast for the very first time, I am a 23-year veteran restaurateur. I opened five concepts over the course of two decades plus. I've also, uh, geez, had the brilliant idea of buying a restaurant just before the pandemic after I'd long sold all my other properties. And I went through everything that you went through and pivoted this restaurant numerous times, you know, had all the hard stories and, uh, you know, made it work. And I've now since sold that restaurant. So I've been in this business quite a long time. Um, of course, besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also a noted industry speaker. I do speak across the country at big food shows. I do webinars for state restaurant associations. I also serve on my state's restaurant association on the board of directors. Um, I'm the founder of the Restaurant Rockstars Academy, something called the Sales Stars Staff Training System, all about building the dream team. That's what I'm all about. You know, I've always believed that systems are the key to working on your business now, you know, having your systems dialed so that you can easily sell your property if you want, you know, it's a turnkey operation. If someone else can step in it and run it either absently or on, on site, because again, all those systems are dialed. When I owned my restaurants, you know, I was obsessed with three things. I was obsessed with guest service. I always believed that if I could offer better service than my competitors or the guy down the street, that I would capture all the business. And that's exactly what would happen, you know, and I train my staff every single day. I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, in this uh, episode. I was also obsessed with brand building and maximizing profit. So being a relentless marketer, you know, spending money only on marketing that was trackable. So I knew where the business was coming from and also being obsessed with cost controls and profit maximization, because that's why we're in this business anyway, right? In the first place to make a profit and you might as well be making as much profit as you can, especially during these uncertain times with rising costs and inflation and literally the highest labor costs we've ever had to deal with. And I'm going to be talking a lot about labor and solutions to the labor crisis in this as well. I also created an iconic brand. I talked about brand building. I created an iconic brand that still dominates the competition today, almost 30 years since I started it, all because of these systems. 
And when we talk about profit, I'm really proud to say that my restaurant had the highest net profit um, of any of my competitors. It had double the net profit of the average full-serve restaurant. You know, you might have heard that um, pre-pandemic, the margins in this business were pretty slim, and that was somewhere between 5 to 10%. They said you were doing well, really well, if you could wring a 10 to 12% net profit on sales. And now, post-pandemic, a lot of restaurants are below the 5% mark, and they're just spinning their wheels, wondering why their bank account isn't growing, and I'm going to talk a lot about that. Uh, my restaurants had close to a 24% profit margin. And there's a reason, a lot of reasons for that. And I'm going to talk about that as well. So let's, let's move on. You know, I'm also a restaurant coach on a limited basis. I will coach restaurants. I work with them personally, either live on site or remotely via zoom. And the very first question I always ask is what business are you in and what are you selling? And that is not a trick question, but most of the time you probably imagine I hear, oh, I'm a restaurant owner or a general manager and I sell food and drink. And I say, stop. And I stop them right there. And I say, you know, when I ran restaurants, I was not in the business of running a restaurant. I was in the business of running a business. And those are two completely different things. And my products were not food and drink. They were entertainment, consistency, and a whole lot of good times. And that made all the difference for me. So think about that. That's what I call a paradigm shift. Now, I know a lot of restaurant owners are managers. Anybody can call themselves a manager or even be promoted to manager, but that does not mean that they are effective or that they're competent or that they have respect or that they literally move the needle forward on the business. Versus a leader. A leader is someone who leads by example, meaning you're not too important. You're not a figurehead to demonstrate the right way of doing something. Even picking up a piece of trash in the parking lot or cleaning a window or bussing a table. It's like we've all done these things. But if the staff see that we are not too important to do that, if we have an open door, if we encourage ideas, if we recognize talent in people, here's the difference between delegation and empowerment, okay? Those who delegate tell people what to do or even how to do it. Anybody can do that. But again, managers delegate, and that doesn't mean they're respected or competent. Versus empowerment, leaders recognize talent in their team. They give people additional responsibility. They recognize and they reward outstanding performance. They even give people a chance to fail and they critique them. They don't criticize, they critique them in a positive way. They nurture and develop their team. And that's what gets people to rise to challenges and they promote from within. And that's the difference between leadership versus management and empowerment versus delegation. Now, the recognition rewards piece is super, super important. I had a couple of programs that are really, really powerful. I'm going to tell you about them now. We had a recognition rewards program and it was called Difference Dollars. Now, how did that work? Well, I had 55 employees in my largest restaurant, and obviously not everyone worked every shift, and we wanted everyone to take part in the program. So on our busiest nights, which are the busiest for most restaurants, on a Friday and a Saturday, I would call the whole team into the kitchen. 
And there might be 25 or 30 people working that day and everyone would gather around and everyone knew what it was about. And they really looked forward to it. But different stylists recognized a team member, one on a Friday and one on a Saturday for really going above and beyond, doing something extraordinary, helping a guest, helping a team member, solving a problem, whatever it was. And I might be the one to recognize someone, or I should say to nominate someone But anyone on the staff could come up to me and say, hey, Roger, did you hear hear about what Sally did? And I'd say, no, tell me about what Sally did. And that would become the basis for nominations. So here we are on a Friday night, and it's before the doors open for business. And now everyone's standing in the kitchen around me. And I would say, okay, and this week's winner is Sally. And then I would go into glowing detail about what Sally did to earn the difference dollars. And maybe Sally was a server and maybe she was in the kitchen and a new bus boy was walking across the floor and slipped on a wet floor and the whole bus bucket went up in the air and all the dishes and everything got smashed on the floor. Now, Sally didn't have to help because it wasn't her job, but maybe she jumped right in and she did you know everything she could to help clean up the mess and calm the person down and say hey it's okay you know accidents whatever it was or maybe they solved the guest problem so, you know maybe a guest locked her keys in the car and my employee or my team member had a AAA membership and they got on the phone and they called AAA and they called the tow truck over and they were able to open the door for the guest i mean that was going above and beyond So here we are recognizing someone. I would get up and in glowing detail, say exactly what the difference was, but it didn't stop there. Then I went into my office and I had a template on my computer called difference dollars and had big stars in the corners and we'd put the person's name on it. And then in glowing detail, again, I would describe what the difference was and what Sally did or whoever that made the difference. And I would put them in these frames that I would get, you know, I'd go to Target or wherever and I'd get those eight by 10 frames and we hung them all over the back hall and the employee area and in the bathrooms. And it's interesting when I hired a new person, you couldn't help notice that those people would be reading all the differences. And it just spoke volumes about how we were different, how we empowered people, how we you know, led by example, how we ran that restaurant and the dream team staff. And it just made everybody rise to the challenge and everybody wanted to win. So what was the reward? It was $20 bill and a can of Red Bull. So every Friday and every Saturday, somebody got a $20 bill, a can of Red Bull and their name on the wall. So it was really amazing. And pretty soon people knew that they either fit our organization or they didn't. And they kind of voted themselves off the island. We really didn't have to fire people anymore. They either fit or they didn't because that was our company culture. It was all about hospitality, family, and fun. You know, we everything is about hospitality in this business, but we wanted the guests to feel like family. We wanted the team to feel like family, and we wanted everyone to have more fun. And that's the approach that really worked for me. You know, in these challenging times, it's not unheard of where unscrupulous restaurants are camping out in other restaurant parking lots. And when people get out of work, they'll offer them, hey, I'll give you a couple bucks more if you leave that restaurant and come work for me. And it's a terrible thing that's happened. But in order to keep your good people, you have to keep them happy. So how do you do this? Several ways. Obviously, you've got to give them a voice. I mentioned the open door policy. People could approach me at any time and say, hey, Roger, you got a minute? And if I did, I'm like, sure. And if I was busy, I'd say, hey, can you come back in five minutes? Or, you know, I'll come see you when I'm free in just a few seconds. But I always had time to listen to my people. And I also encourage their good ideas. 
you know, we would have regular meetings where we'd put flip charts up on the wall with dry erase markers. Once a month, I'd encourage the whole team to just throw out any idea they had, anything at all, you know, no matter how crazy they think it might be, I would really think about these ideas. And I told them that if any idea was trackable, if I could track either a cost savings or a sales or a profit increase, I would give them a percentage of that as an incentive. So that's giving them a voice. Also, fixing what's broken is also part of giving them a voice. I mentioned buying a restaurant just before the pandemic. You buy a new restaurant and the employees get a little squirrely and a little nervous because they don't know what the new owner is going to be like versus the last owner. Geez, am I going to still have a job? Are they going to fire me? Are they going to be a jerk? Are they going to be nice? It's like, you know, people get worried about that. So the very first thing we did was we asked people, what's broken? You know, what can we do to fix how can we make your job easier for you? And people just sing like canaries and they'll tell you, you know, in our particular case, we had a really, really hot kitchen. They're like, well, the kitchen's really hot. Can you do anything to cool it down? Yes, we will bring in, you know, air conditioners and fans and we'll cool it down. There's no rubber mats on the floors and our feet get really, you know, kind of hurting and tired at the end of the day. So we bring in rubber mats. You know, we had a baker that said every now and again, the, the you know, the Hobart mixer goes on the blink or it's a short in the electrical cord or whatever it is. I'm in the middle of a bake and then all of a sudden the mixer stops. So of course we're going to fix things. So that's what it's about, fixing what's broken. Okay. Flexibility is important because everybody has a life outside your restaurant. And even though there's a labor shortage on you know, giving people flexibility and giving them time for, you know, childcare or, you know, doctor's appointments as best as you can, you know, try to meet them halfway on that because it's super important. It shows that you care and it shows that, uh, you know, you care that they have a life outside of your business to the extent that that's possible. Flexible scheduling will also help that. Reasonable raises, of course, if someone really, really deserves a raise, if they've been an outstanding employee for a long period of time, we obviously have to keep up with that. We have to give them performance reviews. I can't tell you how many restaurants I've worked with that don't have job descriptions that make it crystal clear what everyone is being held accountable for, and then giving them a review with a grade from A to D or even D minus on how well they're doing and just keeping them in loop. People really appreciate knowing that uh, they're doing well or what you think about their performance, or even how you can get them on track with what they agreed their job description said. That's important. And then finally, the incentives. I did mention that we had the regular idea brainstorming sessions with incentives, but you can also incentivize your team leaders. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that coming up. Now, recruiting versus hiring. Now, this is super important. You know, anybody can put the help wanted sign out there. I told you about that. And you see them everywhere. But there's a huge difference between recruiting and hiring. Now, I'm going to go back in time. Here's another story. I started my very first restaurant almost 30 years ago. And when I was starting this restaurant, I needed to hire hosts and bussers and servers and bartenders like most full service restaurants do. And at the very same time I was opening up this restaurant, a brand new hotel was coming into my town. 
And they were going to open within a couple of months. And they had all these recruiting events. And they needed everything from front desk clerks to valet parkers to housekeepers to bartenders, busters, and servers, and all the stuff that I needed as well. And they needed to hire hundreds of people. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to compete against this big hotel? And so I had what I call an A player. Now, I believe every business has at least one A player, and I'm going to define what that means. It's self-explanatory, but you wish you had 20 more A players. These are people that are super personable. They're there for the right reasons. They love making friends with your guests. They have experience. They're reliable. They're on time. They have pleasant personalities. Everybody likes them. You wish you had 20 people like that. So I had one server that was just outstanding, you know? And I said, who do you know that might not be happy in their current job? Someone like yourself with a great personality. And I'm wondering if you could, you know, just suggest that we're hiring. And I tell you, if you can bring that person in or even several people, I'll give you $100 for any person that, that comes in the door. And then if that person lasts three months here, I'm going to give them $300 each. Now, that may sound like a money, a lot of money, especially 30 years ago. But even then, as now, the cost of recruiting, the cost of hiring someone, getting them up to speed in the job, and then either you have to fire them or they quit in a couple of months' time, because the average tenure, they say, in, in this restaurant business is about four months. And I'd say that's even generous right now. But they say that it costs somewhere around four to $5,000 every time you hire someone, you train them to get them up to speed in the job, you lose that person, and then you have to refind a new person and then get them up to speed in the job through lost time, wages, productivity, somewhere between four and 5,000 bucks. No restaurant can afford this. And back then it was a couple thousand dollars. So it cost me a couple hundred dollars and I built my dream team. That was how I seeded the the dream team. I started with an A player. They brought other A players. They even brought B players. And I was perfectly happy with B players because we didn't care about experience. We could train for that. We could not train for personality and approach and that business building that certain people have, you know, that je ne sais quoi. And a B player has all the same attributes as an A player. They just lack a little experience. So I used my A's and my B players would shadow the A's and then pretty much through the recognition and rewards programs and everything else I'm talking about, I pretty soon had only A players. And as my business grew, my people stayed with me for 10 years, 15 years, 18 years and more. And, you know, it was amazing. It's like we treated people like family. They understood hospitality. They made friends with our guests and they built our business. Okay. So that's recruiting. Don't hire. So just know that your best hires are employee referrals. Here's something. A lot of states are now having temporary agencies that, believe it or not, specialize in hospitality. Now, you might want to check with your state and even temporary employees that can jump in and be bussers or be hosts. You can train these people quickly and easily. And even if they're just temporary employees, one, maybe they'll like your place and they'll stay, especially if you treat them well. Or two, it's a you know, it's it's a fix in a pinch. If you need somebody, it's kind of a Hail Mary, especially if they're a hospitality trained person. Okay. Customer referrals. Now, this is a great idea. I wish I thought of it, but there's a chain of restaurants in Southern California. Believe it or not, they've got 28 locations that are open 
three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they've got to serve 28 locations, three meals a day. Think about the staffing that this place needs. Well, they came up with an idea where they're giving um, their customers, their guests, $250 gift cards for employee referrals. You send us an, an employee referral, and if that person lasts 60 days, we're going to give you a $250 gift card. And then hopefully you keep those people. You treat them so well that they don't leave. But think about it. It's not $250 cash out of pocket. It's whatever your food cost is, a percentage of that 250 bucks. And chances are you can get several really great employees that way. Gift cards. You can trade gift cards. Okay. Um, you can trade anything really. And this are, these are sort of retention tools. I used to go to non-competing businesses, not other restaurants, but other businesses in town, movie theaters and, you know, car washes and convenience stores and all that kind of thing and say, Hey, you know what? I will give you a bunch of $25 gift cards to my restaurant. If you'll give me a bunch of $25 gift cards to your business. And then I, again, it, it only cost me, you know, what my food cost was, which was about 28% of the $25. So it wasn't dollars on dollars. And I would have employee incentives that my employees loved. So that's great. Okay. Internal marketing. There are so many ways inside our restaurant that we can let people know or what our hiring needs. And again, your guests see these things and they say, oh, I've got a nephew. He's looking for a summer job. I really love this restaurant. I think it's run really well. I know the owner. I like this place. I know that my nephews can have a good experience there. So you never know. It gets the word out. We have giant chalkboards in the restaurant. We have table tents on some restaurants, depending on the concept. Some people have bulletin boards in the bathrooms. They have all these places that are internal marketing, places that we display posters, whatever it is. Get creative. Think about how you can let your guests know that you've got positions open that uh, chances are you can fill. That's, these are all just some good ideas. All right. I talked about that culture of hospitality, family, and fun. It's so important to have a company culture. And again, foundational hospitality is the foundation of our business. Okay. It's all about family and you want everyone to have more fun. Now it starts with job descriptions and key results. I mentioned that a few minutes ago because that's where the accountability comes from. Every single position in your restaurant should have a very detailed job description that makes it crystal clear what your expectations are. Now, what are key results? Key results are the attributes that a person brings to the job, such as reliability, accuracy, efficiency, friendliness, depending on what the position is. Okay. Hustle. If you're a busser, eyes wide open. These are key results. This is what, you know, key success factors and results. This is what you're looking for. Now, job descriptions, I always now pay attention here. This is important because the accountability piece is what makes all this work. Imagine a job description has primary responsibilities listed, and there might be 10 or 12 different responsibilities that a position or a person is held responsible for. I always had a blank line next to each line item. And when I'd sit down with each person, I would make sure that they understood what was expected of them and they agreed to it. And if they understood and agreed, then they would put their initial next to each little line item, and then they would sign the bottom of the job description. Now I had an accountability tool where two weeks later, three months later, whatever it was, 
if I noticed that some behavior or performance was deviating from what we all agreed was their primary responsibility, I could now bring them in private and sit them down and say, hey, I noticed that you're doing really well on these things, but this particular line item isn't working. It's like, and then I would never tell them, this is what I expect. Now go back out there and do it right. No, I would never do that. I would always say, or ask them, I should say, what do you think you can do? How can you get your performance back on track to what we agreed to, what you understood the expectations were? And then I'd throw the ball in their court and they would have to solve it. And they knew I was watching and it corrected the behavior all the time. Okay. That's the accountability piece. Fairness. Obviously, we can't have preferential treatment for anyone. You have to be fair. You have to treat every situation and every person equally. And then finally, The One-Minute Manager. This is a book that I highly recommend. The author is Ken Blanchard. And The One-Minute Manager is simply a management technique. I used it for almost 30 years. And to make it, to boil it down to a simple concept, it doesn't, it's just the title, One-Minute Manager. It's about giving people praises and critiques. When you catch them doing something right, you give them a simple 10 second praise. You know, it could be a one minute. You could sit them down and say, Hey, this is amazing. You did this, this, this. And maybe it does take a minute to say that. Most likely it takes less than 30 seconds. But again, that's just the title. So you praise them when you catch them doing something right. When they're doing something that isn't quite right or the behavior needs to shift, that's when you pull them aside, always in private, never in front of a guest or a team member. And that's when you give them maybe a one minute critique and you say, Again, you know, this is what we agreed your primary responsibility was i'm noticing this what can you do to get your performance back on track and that's the simple critique not a criticism and it worked for almost three decades in my businesses so i recommend that make it fun keep it fun you know people work in restaurants because they're fun the people are fun the guests are fun so we have to keep it that way now we talked about difference dollars i didn't tell you about the other prizes that was another really powerful thing that worked for me i'll tell you about that in a minute but weekly recognition and rewards go a long way. Everybody works for a paycheck, sure, but people do work for recognition. They want to be recognized among their peers, and it really up-levels the entire team. So I told you about difference dollars. Let me tell you a little bit about prizes. Now, a long time ago, um, I forget which supplier it was. Maybe it was a food service supplier. Maybe it was a liquor supplier. We all buy a lot of things, cost of goods, whatever it is from a number of suppliers. And I just happened to walk by a conference room. I was getting a tour of their facility and I saw all this valuable merchandise just laying all over the table. And there were electronics there. There were wearables, really nice jackets and hoodies and all that kind of thing. There were neon signs, there were some sporting goods, all this stuff. And I said, hey, what's all that stuff on the table? And they said, you know, we work with lots and lots of big suppliers, much like ourselves. And every year we ask them for things that we can award for employee incentives for our team. And we get more things than we can give away. And they just somehow collect dust in the warehouse. And every now and again, we have to clear it out. And a little light bulb went off in my head and I said, wow, you know, I spend a lot of money with you every year. And I had some primary suppliers because this is a business of relationships. And when you get comfortable with a supplier, you tend to work with them for a long time. And I had been doing business with them for a couple of years and I was a high volume restaurant. And yes, I spent a lot of money every week. And I just happened to say, hey, 
you know, can I have any of those items? Because I'd love to use them for employee incentives to build my team as well. Next thing you know, the very next day, the truck shows up and everything that was in that conference room on the table gets unloaded, you know, with the goods that that was being delivered that day. I had to clear out this closet. It was a supply closet. And I literally put everything in there. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be fun. And I couldn't wait until the very first employee, I think it was a brand new dishwasher. I think he was there all at 20 minutes and the kid was really hustling, you know, and the dishes kept piling up and he had a great attitude. And I'm like, you know what? You've only been here about 20 minutes, but I love your attitude. I think you're great. He's like, come take a, take a walk with me to the closet. And the person knew nothing about what the closet was. All of a sudden, he got all nervous and jerky. What do you mean? You know, like I'm something bad's gonna happen. I'm like, no, no, this is good. This is good. So we walked down to the closet and I opened the door and I'm like, do you see anything you like? Just it's yours. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I really love what you did. Thank you for your, your, you know, for working here. Thanks for your approach to this job. This is exactly what we're looking for. You know, reward yourself, take something. It's, it's, it's yours. And boy, if that didn't up-level morale. So between the difference dollars program I already told you about and the prizes, and remember, I learned a long time ago, you don't ask, you don't get. So just know that there's a lot of valuable stuff out there. And if you're spending lots of money with your suppliers, just ask them and you never know what you might uh, get in return. And think about what you can do for employee incentives. I mean, we got so much stuff, we actually started using it as you know, loyalty program awards for our top customers as well. All right. Empowerment. There's that word again, empowerment, empowered managers. I actually have to change that word to leaders because I already told you, I don't believe in the word manager. It's really about leaders. Okay. So empowered leaders grow your brand and your business. So you can come up with incentives for key results. If you've got leaders in your business, you would ins- you can incentivize them to grow that business. Um, creating a loyalty program that brings your guests in more frequently. If you can track that, give them a reward. Increasing takeout and delivery. Maybe your dining room manager can do that, and you give your dining room leader, um, and you can give them an incentive for doing that. Your kitchen leader, catering maybe, or big parties and events. Um, I had a bar leader who created a mug club in my restaurant. And that person got a percentage of every mug sold. And what a powerful opportunity that was. If you serve draft beer in your in your business, know that you can start a mug club and you can charge memberships every single year. And, and the more your club grows and people actually, you know, your mug club members are the ones that'll actually grow your club for you because they invite their friends and their family and they refer people. And the next thing you know, that club grows and grows and grows. And there's absolutely no cost to doing that because, um, you can get a sponsor to pay for it. So I'm going to tell you something at the end of this podcast about, uh, how we can actually teach you to start a mug club as well. Um, I always incentivized my leaders for lowering my costs and staying in what I called the sweet spot. Obviously, we had a prime cost sweet spot, food, beverage, and labor costs. If my team leaders kept us in that magic place without spikes here and there, I'm making more money in my business, right? So I gave them an incentive for staying there. Cash cows. Does everyone know what a cash cow is? 
If you don't, a cash cow is something that has very, it's an item that you sell that has very high perceived value by your guests, meaning you put it in front of them and it has wow factor. You know, the phones come out and they take pictures and they post it on social media and that's free marketing because it looks so great. It looks great. It smells great. That sort of thing. But the kicker is it costs you very little to serve the guest. Okay. That's a cash cow. You cannot have too many cash cows in your business because one, it increases profit and two, it lowers your food cost. Ordering efficiency, off the menu specials. You know, you can incentivize your people that order your product if they can be really efficient about their ordering and about maintaining your inventory system so that you don't have waste and spoilage and theft. I always incentivized my people for all these things. And then my kitchen leader would come up with off the menu specials that were much higher profit items. They were more expensive there, but it, it gave my staff, my, my bartenders, my hosts and everyone to tell the guests about these off the menu specials that rounded out the regular menu and were just interesting items, mostly on weekends that were highly profitable. And everyone got an incentive for, you know, coming up with all these ideas. As long as we were making money, I wanted to share the wealth. Okay, let's talk about efficiencies and best practices. I told you earlier that we had these brainstorming sessions. You know, no idea was too crazy. We used to have the big flip charts and the dry erase markers. But I said, you know what? Again, if I could track this idea, I'm going to give you an incentive. So it could have been a marketing idea, a new profit center, something that could be trackable, anything that would save on our costs, you know, cut our costs, a more efficient way of doing things. Face it, the people that work in the trenches in your business, if they got their eyes open and if they're sharp, they see waste, they see spoilage, they see silverware getting dumped in the trash, they see breakage of all kinds. They just don't really think about it because no one's told them to think about it. This is the difference. Here's another paradigm shift empowering your team to run your place as if they owned it, as if they had to pay for it, and then incentivizing them to think of their of your place as if they owned it. And that's how I obviously made money, cut costs, and incentivized my people. Preventative maintenance, okay? You put a preventative maintenance, it's going to cost you less. You don't have to call the repair guy every minute. If people are taking the initiative to vacuum out your refrigeration equipment, making sure that the temperature is always set properly and your pilots are burning, you know, obviously you got a blue flame versus an orange flame in your gas equipment, you know, letting you know when they see something that isn't quite working, that's preventative maintenance. And again, if they maintain, if you got somebody handy who's maintaining your equipment for you and just making sure that everything is always operating perfectly so you don't have to call the repair guy, that's trackable and that's an incentive. So again, trackable return on investment equals a reward. Okay. These are the highest labor costs. I don't need to tell you. It's crazy, right? I mean, cooks in the kitchen, you're paying upwards of $20. Some some people are paying 25 bucks an hour for line cooks now. And, and it's absolutely crazy how rising costs, both cost of goods and labor is really shrinking those margins. So there are things that you can do to pay for this. Obviously, research and tenacity. Um, if we go back to the pandemic, there was something called the Paycheck Protection Program. Many states had other incentive programs as well. And you really had to stay on top of this and be ready to 
go online and, and apply for any of this money. And that's where the, the research and the tenacity came about. And you really have to belong to your state restaurant association, because if you do, you're going to be the first to hear about these opportunities. And there's definitely a reward to that. But let's talk about the employee retention tax credit. There are still businesses out there, no matter how well advertised it's been lately, there's still restaurants out there that just haven't even heard of it or they haven't taken advantage of it. So the employer retention tax credit means you've already paid payroll taxes on your employees. And that adds up to a significant amount of money every single quarter on something called a 941. And mostly your payroll company takes care of that. And you might not even look at it or care about it. But this adds up to a significant amount of money that you've already paid. And now the government, as a reward for keeping those employees, will give you that money back. No strings attached. It takes a couple of months to get the money, but you could get a couple of hundred thousand dollars back. And I'm speaking from experience because I took advantage of this with my restaurant during the pandemic. And it was, you know, it was worth the time it took. And there are firms out there that are specializing in the employer retention tax credit and getting that money back for you. So definitely look into that and explore it. And if you're looking for a firm that does that, I can certainly recommend one um, that I've worked with that that uh, I use to get the money back for me. So you can you can email me, uh, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com, and I'd be happy to turn you on to them. Okay, trading for services. I already talked about that. You can use employee incentives by trading gift cards for gift cards. Now, maximizing profit on every sale. We're going to get into this because I can't tell you how many restaurants are not optimizing their sales. They're not capturing every sale because they've got order takers on their payroll that are losing lots of opportunity and leaving thousands of dollars a month, if not a week on the table for sales that could be um, captured in the restaurant. And then menus just aren't profitable. So I'm going to talk about both those things. All right, let's talk about hospitality. I'll get to the profit piece in a minute and the increased sales, but let's talk about what hospitality really means. Everyone has their own definition of hospitality, but I learned a long time ago, this is my definition. A long time ago, I learned that hospitality is absent when something happens to your guest and hospitality is present when something happens for your guests. See the difference? Man, hospitality was the foundation of all of my restaurants. And I used to train my staff every single day on what hospitality means. And I wanted each and every one of them to deliver true hospitality. So please keep that in mind. All right. Know this. Customers walking through your door are not just here for the food. Now, they might think that's why they're coming into your restaurant. Here's another paradigm shift. They might think that, hey, I didn't feel like cooking tonight and I'm just going to stop by my my local restaurant and grab a bite. And, you know, of course, they're looking for food and drink, but they're also looking for an experience. And I used to train my staff, you know, besides the food and drink, we're here to deliver experiences. We're here to make it memorable. We want them to walk out the door saying, wow, what, what a fun time that was. And I can't wait to tell anyone who'll listen that was such a great time and you should go there too. Okay. So people are coming in your restaurant more than just the food and drink. And uh, it's up to you to deliver experiences. Here's a true story. Maybe some of you've heard this before and some of you certainly haven't, but I was starting my very first restaurant 
um, almost 30 years ago, and it was a wood-fired brick oven pizzeria. Now, I needed a piece of equipment. I think it was a Hobart dome mixer, and I had to travel to the next state because uh, I had to go check one out that I saw listed for sale. And it just happened to be lunchtime. It was just about noon, and I'm driving down the street, and I see this sign at the end of a driveway, and it said, wood-fired brick oven pizza now serving. I'm like, terrific. That's exactly the kind of restaurant I'm starting. I'm opening my doors in three weeks and I need this dough mixer. And here's a brick oven pizzeria. I'm going to check it out. I'll probably learn something. So I pulled into the parking lot and I walked in the door and visualize this. Picture this in your mind. The very first impression I have as I'm walking in, there's a host podium and there's a teenager and he's kind of leaning on the podium, you know, with his hand bracing up his head and, and his elbows on the podium. And he doesn't snap to attention when somebody walks through the door and like look and act professional. No, he just keeps leaning. As I approached him, now I noticed he's actually blowing bubbles with his gum. And I'm like, wow, what a terrible, that what a negative impression that was. You know, it wasn't professional. It was just some kid that just didn't care that was there to earn a paycheck. As I got closer, he looks at me and he's like, are you here for lunch? And I looked at my watch and it was about five minutes to 12, as I mentioned. And I'm like, yep, I'm here for lunch. And then you know what happened next? There was a sort of a menu holder attached to the podium. He pulls a menu out and he sticks it in my hand and then he points across the room and he says, see that table over there? It's yours. And I'm like, wow, he doesn't even have the courtesy to walk me to my table, make sure I'm comfortable, tell me something about the restaurant. No, he just sticks the menu in my hand. He keeps leaning on the podium, blowing his bubble gum. I'm like, gosh, this kid is not only not trained, he obviously doesn't care. He's just taking up space. So, okay, I walk over to the table and I sit down. Now it gets better. It felt like an hour. It was exactly eight or nine minutes, but I sat there and now I'm waiting for someone to come up and introduce themselves and take my drink order. I was thirsty. I wanted to have a club soda with lime, which I usually get for lunch. And then I'm sitting there and I'm watching service personnel. They're passing me on the left and on the right. There's bussers, there's servers, and nobody's looking at me and nobody's making eye contact. And I'm sitting in the middle of the room and I'm feeling kind of foolish because I'm like, well, who, you know, do they even care that I'm here? Does anyone care that I've been sitting here for eight or nine minutes? So I mentioned I had the menu now because the kids stuck it in my hand. And there were 10 or 12 specialty pizzas on that menu. I had plenty of time to look at the menu, but they all sounded pretty good to me. You know, I looked at all the ingredient choices and I couldn't really decide. So when the server finally gets around to coming to my table, she's got the pad and pen in hand. She's a traditional order taker. And I asked her for her recommendation. I'm like, you know, they all sounded pretty good to me. I just, yeah, what do you suggest? You know what the answer was? You know what she said? She looked me in the eye for the first time and she's like, I can't recommend the pizza. She's like, I don't eat them. She's like, they're too expensive. Whoa, that knocked my socks off. I about fell off my chair and it scared me to death because I mentioned it was three weeks from my grand opening of this restaurant. And I suddenly realized that what the staff say and do can absolutely sabotage the guest's experience. Okay. They can absolutely just stop you dead in your tracks. Why would you ever go back to a restaurant like that? Think about what your customers would say online, negative reviews, telling their friends, wow, don't go back to that place. In the age of the internet, which this was long before there was an internet, but that could absolutely sabotage your business, okay? 
So if your staff are not trained properly to serve and sell, they can be hurting your business. Remember that. Now, this is kind of a eureka moment. Um, it's like a light bulb that went off. I, I created this training program, a, a system that I called Sales Stars. I told you a little bit about that, but I quickly realized that when the staff are having more fun and making more money, the guests are having more fun and spending more money. And it all comes down to product and restaurant knowledge. Your people need to be trained in product and restaurant knowledge. Because think about it, you get first-time visitors. Every restaurant on the planet gets first-time visitors in the door every day for a variety of reasons. That if they don't know the first thing about what makes your place unique or special or great. And it's up to your staff through superior product and restaurant knowledge to take your guests on what I call the magical journey. And in so doing, telling them everything we know they will enjoy and appreciate that increases sales and satisfaction and delivers what I call amazing dining experiences while your cash register keeps ringing. Okay. Order takers are not allowed here. More on that in a minute. So what's your mission? What's everyone's mission? Everyone who interacts with a guest on the floor, it's all about entertainment. I've always believed that this business is show business. It's entertainment. And I always train my staff when the doors open for business, it's like the curtain going up and it's show business. Okay. And everybody's mission is to educate, inform, and entertain your guests and order takers. There's that bad word again. They equal ordinary experiences, not extraordinary ones. How do we maximize return on investment? Now, every seat in your business is valuable real estate. Think about it this way. You as the owner are taking all the risk, okay? You, you stuck your neck out. You've got an expensive lease. You've got expenses, big expenses for cost of goods and labor and all these things and insurances. And the list goes on and on and on. And what are a lot of restaurant owners doing? They're just hiring people, the warm bodies, and they're just putting them out there, leaving lots of opportunity on the table and providing your staff with an instant opportunity to make money with no risk at all. You're taking the risk and they're making money. Tips. Why then wouldn't you train them to maximize your opportunities and build your business? That's the difference between a dream team member and an order taker that's someone that's just taking up space or someone that's leaning on the host podium blowing bubbles, okay? Think about that. You need to train people to assume the sale because unlike a retail store, you know, lots of people own retail stores and obviously... Um, it's a hard business, but think about it when maybe it's a ladies boutique and ladies you walk into a clothing store for the first time or a boutique or a handbag shop or a shoe store, whatever it is. And the very first question you probably hear, maybe it's the owner, maybe it's someone working the counter. Can I help you? Right. And what's usually, unless you know exactly what you're looking for and you think you're going to find it in that store, most often you're probably going to say, no, I'm just looking. And if I see something I like, you know, I'll either ask a question or I'll buy it. Not every single customer that walks into a retail store is going to buy, but every single person that walks into your restaurant that sits down is ready, willing, and able to spend money. And it's a cash business. That's what a captive audience is all about. So as long as you have a captive audience, you have to train your team to assume the sale. Okay. It's all about opportunity, okay? I believe that opportunity is fickle and fleeting. 
That means that you have a very short window to either capture a sale or lose it forever. If we think of every single table and every single seat at every table in your restaurant, it's a series of opportunities. Every guest sitting in a seat, every stage of the meal, every table, every time is a series of opportunities. And we either capture these sales opportunities or we lose them forever. And that's missed opportunity. Order takers are losing you money. Sales stars are making you money and delivering extraordinary dining experiences. Okay, let's talk about hidden opportunity. I want you to close your eyes just for a second and imagine an iceberg floating on the surface of the ocean. Got that in mind? I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this. Or if you're watching the podcast, you can see. Now, the iceberg on top of the water. Everyone thinks it's this huge piece of ice. It sank the Titanic, right? Well, the truth is very few people realize that the largest mass or size of the iceberg is actually hidden and unseen beneath the surface of the water. And that's why it's a perfect analogy in a restaurant. Because if you go back to that ice that you imagined on top, I call that piece the daily sales in your restaurant that just happened, you know, your guest gets a menu stuck in their hand, go sit over there. And then you look at the menu and you decide what sounds good to you. And then the order taker comes over with the pad and the pen and they leave all these uh, hidden opportunities on the table and they lose those sales. So that's the ice on top is daily sales that just happened. I call that the land of the order taker. Now, below the surface is where all the hidden opportunities are. I call that the domain of the sales star because they know these opportunities. They recognize them. They talk to your guests about them. They bring the food and drink and opportunities to life, and they make sales for your business. Upsells. What's an upsell? Um, if you've got a bar and someone orders a gin and tonic, your staff automatically suggest and assume the sale. And they say something like this. Would you prefer Bombay Sapphire or Tangeray 10? They just upsold the cost of that drink to the customer by many, many dollars by selling a premium product. Add-ons. I've always believed that every restaurant menu should have lots of add-ons that enhance a menu item. Now, if we're talking about salads, you can offer feta cheese, blue cheese, goat cheese, um, different kinds of cheeses. You can add chicken or scallops or shrimp or steak to a salad, right? It enhances the Caesar salad or any kind of salad, and it upsells that particular meal. Um, if we're talking about entrees and you sell steaks, maybe it's those, those specialty rubs that they put on the steak that enhances the flavor. Maybe it's sauteed mushrooms and onions or green peppers. And these are all suggestions and add-ons that enhance that meal. If it's a dessert, obviously, if somebody orders the cheesecake or the cherry pie, you can ask them if they'd like the, the scoop of ice cream and you've got specialty ice creams. All of this are obviously add-ons. Most profitable items. I'm going to get to that because that is a huge money loser for most restaurants that I've worked with. It's like, I can't tell you how many restaurants that um, I ask them, what are your most popular items? They can all tell me this. What are your most profitable items? They can't tell me that. So we're going to talk a lot about item profitability in a minute. But knowing your most profitable items, you want your staff to suggest them because obviously you're increasing your profit on every sale. I love bottles of wine. It's like having an extra person at a table spending a minimum of $25 and much higher depending on the price point of your restaurant. Desserts go without saying. How about coffee drinks? Here's a huge opportunity. So many people order coffee at the end of the meal. 
When was the last time you were at a restaurant and the server suggested if you ordered coffee, would you prefer Frangelico or Kahlua or Jameson's in the coffee, maybe with a dollop of whipped cream and some chocolate shavings? It's the perfect end to your meal or some Baileys. Nine times out of 10, that's going to trigger a thought in my mind. Oh, I love Baileys. Oh, Baileys in a coffee. That would be amazing. Yeah, bring me that. You plant the seed and nine times out of 10, it works. And the customer says, that's great. Bring me that. Okay. Retail merchandise. I talked earlier about building a brand. Anybody can run a restaurant. It's a whole different story to build a brand. And building a brand means you can then sell merchandise that have your logo on it. The people walk around and they advertise your business and they pay you to do so. That's when you have a brand, when you sell lots and lots of merchandise. It's a huge additional profit center. And the first step in building a brand, of course, is having a standardized color scheme, having a powerful logo, having an aura or an ambiance or something special about your business, and then having that on the merchandise and then selling it and displaying it prominently in hopefully at the entrance to your business so that people have to pass by it twice and then impulse retail items will sell. And even having your staff wear some of this stuff, maybe it's your team uniform like it was in my businesses. And then people automatically say, hey, I love that t-shirt. And then the server or whoever would say, oh, we have them for sale right here in all kinds of sizes and all kinds of colors and all that sort of thing. So a retail merchandise program is a very powerful additional profit center. Not every business can have live music or events, but if you can, it increases sales, especially alcohol sales. If you can carve out a little space for an acoustic musician to come in on Fridays and Saturdays, costs you a couple hundred bucks, but people will stay longer, they'll drink more, and it creates an ambiance where people just enjoy the vibe of your place. Whether it's Beatles songs or Cat Stevens or those songs that just everyone seems to know, whatever the genre is that fits your brand of your business, it makes sense. We even had rock bands twice a week. You know, some really, really big bands would come in and and people would dance and we'd pack the place and we could charge cover charges, which was a profit center that would pay for the band completely. And then all the food and drink we sold was just pure profit on top of it. But it was a draw for our business. All of those things are hidden opportunities that the sales star will capture and the order taker will miss. Now, that's a pet peeve of mine, that word order taker, the way, the approach that order takers take in your business. It's a pet peeve. And it was always about uh, an order taker asks what I call a yes, no question. What does that mean? Well, they approach your table or at the end of the meal, they'll say something like, would you like coffee? Does anyone want dessert? You know, those yes, no questions. More than likely, the answer is going to be no or full. You know, just bring the check kind of thing. Why? Because the odds of making the sale are just 50-50. 50% chance they'll say yes, 50% chance they'll say no. And those are terrible odds of making the sale. So how do you increase your odds of making the sale? It's as simple as offering choices. Choices improve the odds. Follow me here, whether you can see the visual on the screen or you're just listening. Imagine this, we're talking about desserts, and there are three choices. Choice A might be the chocolate peanut butter blast, and choice B might be the raspberry cream disaster, and choice C is no. 
There are three choices, A, B, or no. Now, all of those things have an equal likelihood that the guest will pick it. Each of those things has a 33.3% chance. Now, all three of those choices add up to 100%, don't they? So suddenly by giving two choices, you've got 33.3% added to 33.3%. And now suddenly you've got 67% chance of making a sale of either A or B versus 33% for no. You just doubled your odds of making the sale by giving choices to the guests, bringing those choices to life and making them sound so good that the guests can see it, smell it, and taste it before it comes out of the kitchen. That's a skill to develop, but that just increased your odds, doubled them of making the sale. All right, let's talk about menu costing. Nothing I tell you today is more important than this right now. With rising costs, cost of goods are going up. Crazy prices we're paying for certain products. We can't control this. Rising labor costs, the highest costs ever paying labor. I told you about that. You can't do anything about the costs, but what you can do is maximize your sales and your profits. And it all starts with costing out your menu. You absolutely must know what the profit is item by item in your restaurant. Now, if you can't do this, you got to ask your kitchen manager or your chef, your kitchen leader or your chef, because chances are they've got the experience to cost out the items. And it all starts with your invoices, your order guide. If that doesn't work, ask your supplier, the largest suppliers out there, those broadline suppliers. Chances are your rep knows how to do it. There are so many reps out there that used to work in restaurants as owners, managers, as chefs, as kitchen leaders. And then they also have executive chefs working for these broadline suppliers. And if you're a good customer, they'll help you cost out your menu for you. But what I mean is every single item you put in front of a customer, every single item you put on a menu has a cost that it it costs you to make it. It's literally the ingredient costs all added together. It has nothing to do with labor. It just is what does it cost you to create that dish, putting all those ingredients on a plate and then serving your customer. All right. So a menu item plate cost, I've got a visual on the screen, but I'm, I'm just going to walk you through this. Imagine you list every single, you have to have reverse engineer every item you sell on your menu. It's critically important to do this. And again, if you can't do this, ask for help. I already told you how to do that. List every single ingredient. You need to figure out the quantity of every single ingredient that goes on the menu. Imagine it's a pizza you're putting together. You know, you might have eight ounces of dough and you figured out that it's two cents an ounce for the dough. There's 16 cents just in the dough ball. Then you might have a little olive oil. You've got cheeses. Maybe it's mozzarella cheese. And maybe you figured out that there's four ounces of cheese that go on that pizza. And it costs you 18 cents an ounce to do that. That's 72 cent ingredient cost for the cheese. And then there might be bacon on there. And you might have 1.6 ounces of bacon at 38 cents an ounce. And that costs 61 cents. And today, you also need to include the cost of your takeout packaging. If it goes out the door to serve a guest, if you've got curbside pickup and delivery, you have to increase um, this menu cost by the, the takeout container price. Maybe the takeout container or the box costs you 38 cents. You add up all the ingredients in every dish, and that gives you a plate cost total. Next, 
what do you charge the guest for it on your menu? That's your menu cost. Now, to get your food cost percentage, you divide the plate cost, all the cost of the ingredients, divide that number by what you charge the customer, and that's going to give you your food cost percentage for every single item on the menu. And then finally, calculating the profit of that dish, you simply subtract the plate cost or all the ingredients from the charge that you charge the customer, the amount you charge the guest, you subtract the plate cost from the price on the menu, and that gives you your profit for that item. You need to do this for every single item on your menu. So where do you get the information? Again, um, if you use some of the big broadline suppliers, you ask your customer service rep for an order guide. And an order guide is a list of every single thing that you buy from them, mostly the food. And it shows how it comes into your business, whether it's in the number 10 can or a case of this or a pound of that. And then you simply figure out how much of that ingredient goes into every dish. And then you do the simple math. You can do it with a calculator and a pencil. Okay, but again, ask for help if this is too daunting, but it's not as hard as it sounds, but it is simple math with a calculator. You need to figure this out. Next, you need to determine which items in each category are the most profitable. Now, when I say categories, that should make perfect sense to you. Every menu has categories. Appetizers is a category. Soups and salads is a category. Sandwiches and burgers is a category. Pizzas, entrees, desserts, and so on and so forth. Once you've got a cost sheet for every single item in each category, start with the appetizers. Now figure out which ones are the most profitable. Again, what's the profit? It's the plate cost or the list of ingredients subtracted from the menu price, what you charge the guest, and that's your profit rank them from most to least profitable on every single category. And that's the starting point. Now I sell something I'm going to tell you about called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. And there's a complete template that teaches you how to you know, calculate your item plate costs. It teaches you how to maximize profit and where you're losing money. Now I've got a template that I've worked out where you simply plug in all your plate cost information in each category. It's a spreadsheet that automatically calculates where you're making and losing money every single day, every single month, month, all year. And it's really staggering. Um, the next one is just going to, the next slide that I'm showing right now, I, I'm hoping you can see it, but if not, just, just pay attention. I've already told you that you rank them in terms of profitability. If you plug all this information into the template I'm telling you about, or even doing it yourself, you'll see that there's a spread difference now. What is the spread? Now, in each category, every single item contributes some profit. You know, and you might be surprised that with rising costs, your profit is shrinking even more. And that's why this is such an important exercise. But the spread is the difference in each category from the highest profit item to the lowest profit item. And my template, which I'm showing on the screen right now, shows that this particular restaurant, they sold something called seafood stuffed shrimp. And they made $17.88 profit every time they sold this dish. That's beautiful. You wish everything you sold could contribute that kind of profit. And then in descending order on this template that's been plugged in, you can see the profit spread every time they sell the number two most profitable, the number three most profitable, the number four, and so on and so forth in descending order. This is how much money they're losing. 
Now, most restaurants have a point of sale system that gives you a sales report that shows you the volume of sales of everything you sell over a period of time. I really like to use a year's worth of data because it's the most telling. Unless you change your menu twice a year, then you've got six months of data or seasonally, maybe quarterly, then you got, you know, three months of data. I really like the most data possible because it gives you the most information. But anyway, you plug that in and now suddenly it shows the popularity of items based on volume of sales. And this template automatically calculates, you know, most to least profitable and then volume of sales. And what do we find out most often? We find out that lower profit items are stealing sales from higher profit items in every restaurant every single day. And the difference that spread in every category is many, many dollars. I want you to know that it is absolutely possible to redesign a menu where you're losing pennies and not dollars every time this sells versus that. And when I say pennies, I mean 75 cents here, 80 cents there. So what? That's fine. But when you're losing three or four bucks every time you sell this appetizer versus the highest profit appetizer, who can afford losing $3, $4, $5? On the entree side, I see restaurants losing $10, $12, and even $15 and more every time a lower profit item steals sales from a higher profit item. And let's face it, we already talked about you paying the highest wages right now to the kitchen to make anything. You know, why wouldn't you train your staff? to know first which are your most profitable items and then suggest those every table every time why wouldn't you have portion control standards to make sure that every single item prepared is rock solid consistent so many restaurants have different people making the same food and they're putting more items on than the, than the actual spec calls for and every time they sell that dish they're losing profit because the portion controls aren't consistent also know that you've got sales reps that are super knowledgeable of every single product and they can tell you you know what comparable items you can swap out to save you money so what's the bottom line here now the spreadsheet that i just talked about the automatic template i had a three million dollar restaurant actually it was just under three million it was like 2.85 million dollars single independent location open all year round and I showed them that last year they lost a potential profit of $360,000 simply because in every category, lower profit items were more popular, bigger sellers taking sales away from higher profit items, and their spread was many, many dollars. That's the kicker. So I already talked about what to do. Okay, simplify your menu, first of all. Drop low profit items. Portion controls. Absolutely. You need a specification with a photograph of every item that shows a plate presentation, and then you need a checklist and a training system so that every single new person you hire produces every item consistently to that specification. And then you need spot checks, you yourself, your team leaders, even other servers that see the food being delivered. You know, you got to teach them all. This piece of, you know, this pizza has 10 pieces of pepperoni on it, not 15, not 14, but 10. Simple things like that. Spot checks, okay? Checks and balances. Ingredient choices, again, your sales reps are so knowledgeable. Ask them if there's a comparable quality item that they may have bought in a larger quantity. They got a better price on it. They can pass the savings on to you. You don't ask, you don't get. 
I talked about cash cows earlier. You need lots of cash cows that cost you very little money to serve the guest. You can charge really good money for it. That lowers your food cost and increases your profit. You have to gently raise prices. And you have to communicate that to your customer. They know that their inflation is hurting them at the gas pump and in the supermarket, but they don't necessarily think about that when they go out to dinner. But no matter what you do, if you raise prices, you have to offer them value for the money. You have to offer them great service through sales stars, not order takers. And then go back to the drawing board. And then if you can do this yourself or with your kitchen leader or your chef or even your supplier, redesign a menu where everything contributes a similar profit where the profit spread is 75 or 80 cents here or there not multiple dollars and that's the key and this is the only thing you can control to maximize your profit with rising costs all right let's talk about daily break even in these times of challenging labor, restaurants that used to be open seven days a week have to close a day or two. They have to shut their hours, um, cut it back a bit because of this labor crisis. Hopefully, I've given you some, some tips today to find some new people. But how do you know what day to close? It all comes down to something called the daily break-even sales number. It costs you a certain amount of money to open the doors to your restaurant every single day. Whether you serve 10 customers or 100 or 1,000, there's a cost. You open up the door, turn the key, turn the lights on, make sure there's food in the walk-in to serve, make sure you got staff to serve the customers and all the expenses that happen, there's a certain cost every single day. It might be $1,000. It might be $2,000, depending on the size of your restaurant or even more, but you need to know what that is. And the daily break-even is if, let's just say on a Monday, a lot of restaurants are slow on a Monday. If your restaurant isn't consistently meeting the sales of what your break-even number is, at the point where you're not making money and you're not losing money, that's the break-even. Let's just say it costs you $900 to open the doors, and let's just say your sales consistently on a Monday are $700, $800, $650. You're going to lose less money by closing your business than being open, all right? So this is how we determine it. Every single business has invoices that come in the door every week. Maybe they're monthly expenses. Whether you do this yourself, you've got a bookkeeper in the office, an office manager, or you've got a payroll company or an accountant or whatever it is that does this for you, you need to assemble every single expense in your restaurant. And they're divided into two different kinds of costs. There are fixed costs. What's a fixed cost? A fixed cost is something your restaurant must pay whether you're open every single day or you're open two days or you're completely closed. They're things that are non-negotiable and it's things like your your rent on, on the property, your lease. Your landlord doesn't care if you're open seven days a week or you got to close. You owe the rent at the end of the month, don't you? Same with insurances. You pay your insurance up front. Your licenses are all paid up front. Um, your phone service, your internet, your dumpster, the dumpster company doesn't care how many days you're open. The dumpsters in the parking lot at the end of the month, they want their money. Okay. That's a fixed cost. A variable cost is something that varies by the hours and days you're open. It goes up and down. It's a variable cost. And those are things like your payroll. Obviously, your payroll costs you less money if you're open five days a week than if you're open seven days a week. Same with cost of goods. 
You don't sell as much stuff. You don't buy as much stuff if you're open five days a week versus seven days a week. Your heating oil, your electricity, all those things go up and down based on your hours and days open. So let's just say you've got all the invoices on a monthly basis, a big stack of them that someone compiles for you or you ask your accountant for this. And you make a list of all the fixed costs first and then all the variable costs next on a monthly basis. So if you buy cost of goods, your food, your beverages, all that thing, and say you take in a couple deliveries a week, I want 30 days of all those expenses added up and put them in the cost of goods column, okay? And then I've got a spreadsheet for this as well, but you can do it yourself. And it automatically totals every single expense, 30 days, and then divided by 30, that gives you that daily break-even number. Again, all these spreadsheets that I'm talking about are included in something I'm going to tell you about called the Academy. All right. What's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy? It's everything I've learned in literally almost 30 years of being in this business of running restaurants and putting systems in place and having an exit strategy and training my staff to have my back. But if you're starting a restaurant for the very first time and you're listening to this, it's everything you would need to know to open the doors of that first restaurant. It's everything from how to attract capital, writing a business plan, putting an accounting system in place, how to work with lawyers and bankers and CPAs, hiring and firing and policies, how to buy a restaurant for sale, negotiating a lease, anything you would need to know, again, to open the doors is in the logistics module. The finances piece is all about cost controls and how to maximize profit. It's a series of tutorials and these proven spreadsheets that I used for over two decades with automatically locked formulas that you can't mess up. But the best part is the tutorials will teach you this stuff. If you hate math, if you're terrible at numbers, the tutorials will literally make it fun and easy in the simplistic form will teach you what the numbers mean, where to find them, how to plug them into these spreadsheets and what the bottom line should look like so that you can find what I call your sweet spot. It also includes the common mistakes that lots of restaurant owners have made that you can avoid. That's cost controls. It includes the inventory system that's so important, how to calculate your food costs, your beverage costs, your labor costs, how to avoid labor cost abuses, the daily break-even, even putting a seasonal budget in place. It's all there in the finances section. Now, let's talk a little bit about menu profit. I, I spent a lot of time in this talking about costing out your menu and calculating your menu profit so that you're maximizing the bottom line on everything you sell. Complete template in there about menu profit. Staff sales training. Here's where sales stars comes in. There's a version for full serve restaurants. There's a version for fast casual food trucks and counter serve places. And it's all about hospitality. It's all about recognizing opportunity and having your staff be sales stars, not order takers. The marketing section, these are proven marketing ideas that I used for almost 30 years that cost very little money, but delivered return on investment. And they were all trackable. So you know where the business is coming from. 
It's not some experiment where, you know, somebody calls you on the phone and says, Hey, you know, you should put your ad on the radio and I'll help design the ad and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we'll get you lots of sales. If we put a commercial on the radio, well, you'll never be able to track that unless everybody walking through the door says, Hey, Joe, I heard you on the radio. And that's what brought me in, which never happens. It's not trackable. And then finally, efficiencies across your operation in every department. The Academy is just $59 a month, a very reasonable price. There's no contracts. There's a money back guarantee in the first 30 days, and you can cancel at any time. Not that you want to, because the best part about the Academy is you can assign any module or any of this information to any of your staff, and there's your exit strategy. You can watch their performance, you can track them, you can quiz them, and they will literally learn your business and how to run your business. And this is the perfect way to develop leaders in your business. It's a complete tutorial. It's everything I've learned in 30 years about how to not only open a restaurant, but how to run it profitably and most successfully. So that's the Restaurant Academy. We call it the Ultimate Restaurant Startup and Management Resource. It's a self-paced course. You know, the best part is you're not locked into following it in any particular way. You get into the academy, there's tutorials that teach you, okay, where do you begin and what's this section about and all that kind of stuff. But you can literally decide what your priorities are. And if marketing is your thing and you really want to increase business in your restaurant, go to the marketing section. I recommend you train your staff have to serve and sell right off the bat with sales stars and then dive into the finance module so you can control your costs but most importantly maximize your profits and then if you're just starting your restaurant go to the logistics section but why not get started again it's only 59 dollars per month so restaurantrockstars.com all this free resource, the podcast you're listening to right now is free. We have best practices there, money-making resources, the academy. It's, it's all there at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to see you next time. Stay well. Thank you so much for tuning in. I so appreciate my audience and hopefully you learn some things. You can put some of these things in place immediately in your restaurant to increase your profits and build that dream team staff and and just build a business that you're so proud of and rediscover the passion of why you got into this business in the first place. So hopefully we brought you all that information. And uh, don't forget to check out our Restaurant Rockstars Academy at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. And we can't wait to see you all next time. So please stay well. Hey, Rockstars, let's talk restaurant marketing. I started and ran five high-volume restaurants, and I was obsessed with marketing. Not the traditional kind where you try this and you try that and you hope for the best. That's like dumping $100 bills out the window, but nobody's coming in the door. I'm talking about marketing that's trackable, where you know exactly where the business is coming from, and most important, that it delivers far more than every penny you spend. So here's where my friend Dyson comes in. He's a restaurant person, just like you, owned his own concepts. Now he runs Fan Connect. He's got something called the Birthday Club that's proven to drive new and repeat business in your door because everybody has a birthday. He does it all for you, too. All the heavy lifting. All you have to do is focus on your guests and delivering true hospitality. Why not speak with Dyson yourself? He loves talking shop with operators, and there's no obligation, but I'm pretty sure he can boost your business and put more butts in your seats. If I still own restaurants, it's exactly what I'd do. Check it out at fanconnect.com slash birthdayrockstar. 
thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.